Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Good morning, City Collective, and thanks for joining us for Church Online. Uh, I'm thrilled that you're able to be with us today as we continue with part two of our series on Exodus. Welcome to my living room. My name is Jason, and thanks for letting us into your home or wherever you're watching this morning. Uh, I want to invite you to lean in with me as we continue together on this journey of Exodus. Our mission as a church remains the same here in the online space as it is in person. Together, creating space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. So wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith this morning, I'm glad that you're here with us and and that we get to go on this journey together. This has been uh, a wild season that we have had to navigate, but God has been so faithful. Last week, we, uh, we crossed the Red Sea and arrived at the other side with the Jewish people breaking out into a celebratory song and were challenged in the leadings of our gratitude. Our, our roller coaster of what have you done for me lately, uh, driving our feelings of thankfulness and narrowing our vision of what is happening around us. I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving dinner and that you're all fully recovered from, no doubt, great food and some time with friends and family. I hope that was a blessing of the weekend. But that was in Exodus 15, and that was last weekend with Turkey, so I hope you're full of energy and you're ready to go. And I encourage you, if you want to, you can check out that what we talked about last week, but we're continuing into Exodus 19, and the first 18 chapters of Exodus are action-packed. Plagues and miracles, drama and armies, and then at chapter 19, the story just, it seems to kind of grind to a screeching halt. Um, the stories, they come in snippets, and between the snippets of the stories are huge blocks of laws. Not something we're really looking for. So something really radical changes. And what's interesting is that most people are familiar with the, with the Exodus story, but once people get to Mount Sinai, they, they stop reading. Um, it, it gets tough, to be honest. But these are crucial parts of the biblical story, and sometimes I think this is how our own life can sometimes feel. We, we go through so much and everything's happening all around us and, and, and to us and people in our corner and then life seems to grind to a halt, to a crawl. It feels like nothing is happening around us. It feels almost like this wilderness that we enter into, but there's actually so much taking place within us that people can't see and that we can't see. This wandering, this wrestling, this struggle that is necessary for our spiritual lives to be more than a shallow understanding, but a deep, overflowing wealth. Not just a casual knowing of God, but a deep intimacy with God. Now, I will say this right up front. It is easy to poke fun at Christian music, but I'm still going to do it. And I want to point out a phenomena called the Jesus is my boyfriend effect in Christian music. And, and you might be looking at me funny right now, wondering, like, what is he going to be talking about? What is he talking about? Don't worry, we're going to dive right into it. But I, I want to preface this by saying I want to apologize because it might skewer some worship songs. And I will admit myself that I've had some of these impactful songs play a role in my own life, in my own past, and now I think about them a little bit differently and might cause you to think about them a little differently and feel a little different, but we're all in the same boat. We're in this together. So I'm going to read some of these lyrics and see if we can see this, this effect. Now, this is the lyrics from Draw Me Close, uh, a banger from, 
I think it was early 2000s, late 90s. You are my desire. No one else will do. Because nothing else would take your place to feel the warmth of your embrace. You are all I want. You are all I ever needed. A.K.A. The boyfriend effect. You sing this in worship to Jesus, but it could also be sung to your boyfriend or significant other. A.K.A. Draw me close. Let's do, uh, let's do another one. Uh, in the secret. In the secret. In the quiet place. In the stillness, you are there. In the secret. In the quiet hour, I wait. Only for you. Because I want to know you more. I want to touch you. I want to see your face. I want to know you more. Now, <laughs> talking about touching someone in the secret quiet place has some unfortunate implications in our current narrative society. And hear me, I'm not saying that these songs should be thrown out the window and we don't receive this kind of intimacy with God because it's, it's, it's actually a reality. It's a true and beautiful thing that we are invited into. But, but we're coming to a text today in Exodus 19, 19 where I guarantee that the people of Israel were not thinking about coming to God in the secret, quiet place. That was not the, this effect that in that moment. This is a different experience of God that they're happening. Uh, and, and so what I want to look at today is how do we wrestle with this tension? On one hand, we have this, this aspect of God that today, because of Jesus, we have intimacy with him. And yet, on the other hand, we are presented this image of God here on Mount Sinai where he is a bit overwhelming. In some ways, it's a little bit scary. Lightning, thunder, fire, and smoke billowing from a mountain. So I want to invite you to turn with me to Exodus 19. Hub facilitator, you can now lead your groups in this reading. Hit pause on this video. And if you're joining us here online, please, would you just join with me at home? We're going to start reading from verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephdim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and this is what, and, and, and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses, he went back and summoned the elders of the people. And he set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses, he, he, he brought their answer back to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. 
Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Moses is this go-between very clearly. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today. Set them apart and tomorrow and, and have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. It feels incredibly harsh. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn is, it sounds a long blast, may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them. And they washed their clothes. And that ends our reading this morning. One of the things that is important to us as a church is to read the Bible and develop an understanding of what it is trying to say. The Israelites, that they come out of their slavery in Egypt and then through the wilderness, Moses leads them to the foot of Mount Sinai, which was pointed to all the way back in chapter 3. You can take a look for yourself. This event of coming to Mount Sinai is, is about three months into their desert journey, their, their freedom journey. It's about the third month of Israel's escape from Egypt and after the parting of the Red Sea. So a lot's taken place. And to put that into context, it, it is uh, October 18th today. And we have been officially online since March 15th, 2020, the third Sunday of that month, make, month, making this seven months since we pivoted to the online space. So a lot's going on. And, and for those of you who have experienced even three months of that, it would probably feel like a long time ago because a lot has happened since then. However, that does not compare to what Israel has experienced in the last three months in which they've seen Egypt experience 10 plagues. Uh, they've been rescued from, from certain death during the Passover. They've crossed the Red Sea in a miraculous set of events. They've, they've been, been led to this point in the desert where they felt starved and, and thirsted, and they fought off Amalekites, and they just had new leadership appointed. So there's this clear speech that God is giving to Moses. And the speech says in verse chapter 4, uh, verse 4, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And I think most of us would, would recognize that this idea of eagle's wings is, is a figure of speech. It doesn't mean that God literally sent eagles like Frodo and Sam got help from Gandalf. That's not what happened at the Red Sea. This, there isn't something in between the lines to read here. This is a metaphor. It's a call out to what the verse is saying, that God supernaturally intervened and saved Israel as they were going through the Red Sea. An awesome and incredible event. And then in verse 5 it says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, God is making reference to a covenant. 
Now, did you ever have something you did with a friend to, to like seal a promise growing up? Uh, a special handshake that you had? Maybe you had to remember all the different motions put together every time you saw them and it's really elaborate and it was only something you two knew? Maybe it was just a good old spit handshake, a pinky promise, whatever it is that there has been. Uh, there's an element of a promise that is bound with a commitment that makes it different than simply saying, yeah, I'll do that. So let's clarify what that is, uh, that, that covenant that God is talking about. A covenant is a promise, a sacred pact between two par parties, a formalized partnership to accomplish a goal together. And we don't, realize, we don't really have something like it in our modern day society because this is meant to be everlasting. It means to be forever. It spans across lifetimes. And for a lot of us, a lifetime promise is strange. And, and we consider a marriage a lifetime oath, but that level of commitment is becoming more and more out of our cultural nature. But the promise that God is referring to is the one that God made with Abraham about 500 years earlier. This is generations of a covenant. And what is interesting is that covenants are actually one of the main ways that the author of the Pentateuch has brought coherence and unity to the storyline. A covenant with Noah was made to make the world a secure place where God would carry out the drama of what he was going to do to rescue humanity. The covenant with Abraham and the family of Abraham was his commitment to bring blessing and restore his blessing and the rebellious nations. And now with Israel at Mount Sinai, there's a covenant being established where they're being invited into more than what they'd already experienced. And what is interesting in the biblical story is that the creator God, who when he wants to redeem and rescue the world, which is all the time, he does it. By entering into partnerships with humans, with you and with me, that is interesting to me. That we might just think God would send parachute, little relief packets of salvation to everybody like a UN helicopter. But the Bible is about a God who wants to engage humans in the fullness of their dignity and responsibility and work through them. This was a covenant with Israel, but know today that through Jesus, there is a new covenant at work in the world around us. One that is between every single one of us and God. One that we are being invited to participate in for the redemption and restoration of the world. Jesus didn't come just so we can be saved. He came to redeem. He came to heal. He came to make things new, and we're invited to participate in that. And this moment in chapter 19 is a huge step forward in the storyline of the Torah because you realize now that it's going to be through this family of people being faithful to the terms of the covenant. That's how the blessing, the divine blessing of Abraham's, go, uh, of Abraham's covenant is going to go out to all the nations. And God isn't saying, you do this and I will bless you. He's saying that when you live within this covenant, when you live with these limits, you experience the blessing that I already have for you. God says that he is asking a whole nation to obey the terms of the covenant, which are going to be revealed in the Ten Commandments and, and many more to come, but the, and the laws to follow. And, and God says, if you obey the terms of the covenant, I have a big promise for you, that you know who you will be. You will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. So I want you to understand that the people of Israel were formed by a promise before and before the people of Israel existed 
the promise, the covenant existed. Because when God gave Abraham this covenant, he had no children. He is in his 90s and his wife was barren. So out of this promise, this nation is actually birthed. The promise came first. God is, stay, is staying faithful through hundreds of years. And this is important for us to understand when we feel stuck in the middle of nowhere, when we're on our own exodus, when we feel like we are in the season of wandering or feeling lost, that it is the fundamental nature of God to make promises and to keep them. Some of you need to hear that this morning, that there was a promise given to you and the fundamental nature of God is that he keeps them. A fundamental aspect of God is that he is everlasting and therefore his promises are everlasting and he keeps them. And a challenge of our individual wilderness seasons is often remembering forgotten promises of a faithful God. What have we lost sight of in our experience of the moment? The nature of God has not changed. Therefore, the promise has not waned and we are invited to rediscover it again every morning. Does that mean you'll know the perfect timing? No. Does that mean that we'll see uh, bits and pieces of it fall, apart, fall into place every day? No. But here's the part of the covenant that we have so much difficulty with. We see the benefit and we want that and we don't understand that the limits that are included are actually meant to prosper us, not to hurt us. Verses 7 to 10 indicate that Israel was willing to obey. They heard the promise. They're like, I want that thing. I want to see that happen right away. And they've seen God work, so why wouldn't they listen? And it's an instant response of an agreement. And it kind of feels like a moment when Adriana's asking me to do something. And I say yes before she even says what it is that she wants me to do. And once I know what it is that she wants me to do, I'm not really sure that I want to do that anymore. Does anyone else have those kind of moments? <laughs> This is kind of like that situation with Israel. They agree to do whatever God says to do, but they don't know what it is yet. And as we will find out, Israel, they, they can't really keep their commitment. And they won't for very long. But yet God continues. An all-knowing God, he continues and he invites them to consecrate themselves, to set themselves apart, to step into this idea of a priesthood because God is coming to the mountain in three days and they're going to meet him there. Now, many of you have, have been to a wedding. We dress up for weddings because it is a unique event, because it is a declaration of a relationship, because it's for people that we love. And it's the introduction of, of a couple, of a new family for the first time. I love it. It's significant and, and it's a privilege to witness, but how much more so for the people of God to be introduced to their God? Because up to this point throughout history, God has shown himself to individuals, but never to a people. This is the first time that God is making a headline appearance to his people coming to town in three days. How much more so should they wash their clothes to get ready for that appearance? There is something about limits that define who we are. There's something about boundaries. These limits define who Israel is and more importantly, who God is. They define as a people who are going to obey and, and fall under the blessing of God. And the wilderness, whenever we step into it, it wants us to enter into this mindset of pure existentialism, that you do what is right in your own eyes because the cravings of the self in the moment, they, they pull you back and forth and they're a wild the wild roller coaster and they often misuse the moment they're in in the wilderness telling you to drink the water right away when you see it force it down and the wilderness tell, tempts us to live a life without limits 
But God introduces the law and he provides a survival guide meant to protect his people from themselves, recognizing their worst tendencies and the ways in which they're crippled by them. The law, it can be difficult to, to understand, but it was a divine limit for the benefit of his people. It was love in action. And where the law gets twisted is the order in which we see God work. In our world, we work in an equation relationship with the divine. Do this, get this. Follow this law, receive God's blessing. But this is important to catch. Salvation from slavery preceded the law. Israel was saved before the law was given. And in our story and throughout the Bible, in fact, this, this whole thing is honestly a condensed picture of what the entire Bible is all about. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need the rest of the Bible, but, but catch this, that Moses doesn't show up to the people stuck in slavery and say, hey, here's the thing, guys. I got good news and I got the bad news. The good news is I have just 10 things. Bad news is if you can knock out these 10 things, and they're going to be tough. Then God is going to pull, out, pull us out of oppression. And then we get to live into that good news. He's going to set us free. And if we can disobey, don't worry, there are only 10. How easy is that going to be? Just 10 things. Like this one. Don't worship gods that aren't gods. How easy is that? Let's, let's, let's not do that and we can move on. Here, let's not lie. Let's not murder. Let's not look at everybody else's stuff and be really glad at what actually God has given us. Let's not compare ourselves with others. Let, let's nail these 10 things and then God is going to get us out of here. It's like this key in a lock mentality. What did Israel do to get out of slavery? Well, I'll answer for you. To be honest, nothing. They did nothing but grumble and complain as God saved them. Even in the process of salvation. Oh, what are we doing out here? There's nothing to eat except magic bread on the ground. What are we going to wash it down with? I don't know. Magic water out of a rock? Wow. Good trick, God. And just, just grace upon grace that salvation precedes the law and God continues to give. In fact, I would argue that we will never understand the law until we receive the grace of God in Christ. You can't see it. Think of all the objections in Christianity. They're almost all around the law and a misunderstanding of what the law actually is. Well, you Christians believe this and, and, and that and this and that and this and that. And the law becomes something completely different in that scenario. But it's meant to be something beautiful to those who have received the grace of God. Because we can understand that within the law is an opportunity to live out of the grace we have already been given. Not grace for the law, because, but it's gr grace that leads us through it. That the law becomes something really beautiful to those who are under grace because the law becomes the path of life. The law outside of the grace of God feels like death. It feels impossible. It feels like a checklist that for our best efforts that we can never fulfill. But enter Jesus Christ. And, and this mountain with necessary limits looks a little bit different. There, there's still a response that we are invited into, but a more intimate relationship that we can access with that same God of Mount Sinai. The, this story in Hebrews 19, oh sorry, in Exodus 19 is mirrored in Hebrews chapter 12. And it says this, that you have not come to a mountain 
that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, to gloom and to storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The, the, the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But this is the promise for you and for me through Jesus. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You have come to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Today, we get to approach a better mountain. Today, we don't have to worry about touching the mountain. Today, we don't have to worry about washing all of our clothes. Today, we don't have to worry about our animals touching the, the mountain and awful things happening because today all of the limits that God has set upon the people of Israel have been removed except for one. God has chosen only one gate He's to be able to ascend to the top of the mountain and that is his son. And we have access to this mountain because he has chosen this one, this one limit. He says, just believe, place your trust in me because trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his coming again, we are acknowledging, this is why it's important to trust. We are acknowledging that this mountain in front of us cannot be climbed on our own. We are acknowledging that we are not worthy of it and anyone who ascends it is because they have been washed clean by the perfect gift of Jesus. Have you forgotten the promise that God placed on your life? Do you know that there is a new covenant that God has made with you, his child? And will you live from grace and not for grace and see the law in a new light? As you approach God today, church, know that the God of everlasting promises is always faithful. That grace precedes the law and that limits are, are meant to help you experience the joy that God offers. The people of Israel, they were on a journey in the wilderness and they come to Mount Sinai and they agree to obey and they fall short, but God did not abandon them. He continued with them through the wilderness. He continued to provide in their moments of need. And if you are in moments of wilderness right now, where you feel like you're trying to find God in the middle of nowhere, that you have messed up, that you have fallen short, there is no, there is no condemnation. There is no, uh, there is no punishment that God is trying to implement upon your life right now. The, the God of the universe is so madly in love with you that even in the midst of your rejection of God, there is a God pursuing you to the ends of the earth with grace and love for you to experience and to live out of. That even at the mountain, when they fall short, even when they mess up, there is an opportunity that, that they're provided to continue to be a kingdom of priests, a people who have access to God. And through Jesus, we are a people who can have an intimate relationship with God 
that that big booming lightning and thunder God that we see on Mount Sinai is the same one that we are invited to have an intimate relationship to discover the fullness of joy in every single moment of our life. And I want that for each and every single one of us. If you're watching this morning and, and you just feel so separated from God, let me just encourage you that the faithful God that we seek keep the covenant of Abraham with the people of Israel well beyond their grumbling and complaining, well beyond their, them turning away and generations passing, that that same God is faithful to you and to me today. And we are invited just to come to him with open heart and say, God, speak. I'm listening. Help me to discover your heart for my life and for the people around me. Let me discover your heart. Let's pray this morning as we close. Father, we give you thanks that you are a good, faithful God, that you guide us and you shape us and you lead us. And I just pray right now in our, in our own wanderings, and our own wonderings, that you would just give us the courage to go back to you, to listen again to those promises that were spoken once, to look at the law in a different way rather than as limits that are restricting us, but they're limits that are empowering us to experience the fullness of life and protect us from our worst tendencies. Thank you that your word speaks across generations, that your promises are true for us today, and that through Jesus we get to discover an intimacy of relationship that is well beyond anything that we could ever deserve on our own, but that you so desperately want to give to us. For everyone listening, I just pray that there would be a presence of, of your love within their home, within their space, that we are just overwhelmed by it, and we get a revelation of who you are. We give you thanks. In your name we pray. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for a Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.